Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. What's up, DTC pod? Today we're joined by Nish from Array. Um, Nish, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about Array and what you guys are building. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me, Blaine. So Array is a uh, company that builds 100% natural wellness supplements that work in under an hour. Essentially, when we started the company, we said there's a lot of supplements out there and it's quite a confusing space because you take something, you don't necessarily know if it's working or not, and you don't know if it's actually doing something for you. That was kind of the space that we were in. And one of the things that we drew parallel from, because me and my wife, who started the company, we come from the beauty space. Uh, we've had a lot of experience there. And the beauty space, you know exactly what you're putting on the face. Like I'm a guy with a six-step skincare routine, and I know what each one of my products do for me. And they all really work. They're built by a dermatologist, and they're really beautiful, so they can integrate into your routine. And we said, okay, why don't we go and bring that into the wellness space? So essentially, we went out, found some doctors to work with, and we also very passionate about the wellness space in general ourselves, from a personal perspective. And we came out to create products that were super targeted. So our products are for bloating and anxiety. We have actually another product launching in two weeks, which I'm really excited about as well. Again, super targeted. And they're all working in their hour and they're all really beautiful. So they're not kind of hidden in your you know, supplement cabinet. They're on your bedside table, they're on your living room table, but that's the idea behind the brand. Awesome. And just for context, to set the context for the audience, um, you know, what stage are you guys at? How many how many people do you guys have on the team? Um, how long have you guys been in business? Just so uh, you can set a little context for where, where what stage your brand's at. Yeah, absolutely. We started the company just uh, about just over two years ago. Initially, it was just me and my wife who started the company. We we're about uh, 10 full time employees and we work with probably around 20 contractors. Um, so it's a fairly large team now, and uh, we are all over, like we ship all over the world. Our biggest markets are North America. We're a Canadian-born company, so Canadians, uh, Canada is a, is a big market for us. And then after that, we're primary in London. Uh, we are, this year, we should do um, well into the um, eight figures. And so that's kind of an idea of how big the brand is. Awesome. And um, in terms of you and your personal background, uh, I know you mentioned Toronto. Are you from Toronto or are you from Canada? And, and what, what were you working on before uh, you guys decided to kick off Array? Yeah, yeah. So I am Canadian. I, am, I wasn't born here. I was uh, born and brought up and raised primarily in the uh, Middle East and um, um, Norway. This is because my family comes from an oil and gas background. And so that's where I was kind of brought up, uh, moved to Canada for school. Uh, after school, I took engineering 
as my kind of undergrad degree. And it was amazing. But literally in my last year, I learned how to code and become a, I became a software developer. So my first job out of university was a software um, engineering job, even though I was a mechanical engineer by trade. And uh, after that, I've been working this like really um, intense tech. So I used to be a software engineer. Then I became a product manager in the technology field, uh, working for primarily um, fintech companies, consumer facing um, fintech products. Also worked in a uh, um, fast food company, um, a like a sweet green type of uh, company here in Canada. And uh, after that, uh, I think through all those experiences, I was just like, okay, this is all really great learning. But me and my wife wanted to start something, you know, in the consumer space. So we just took our learnings and started building Array. Yeah, and that's that's something that I know we chatted a little bit about offline that I'm really excited to unpack because um, you don't see so many people with a technical background and a kind of a technical PM background getting into the consumer space. And um, I think that's something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of as these brands uh, continue to scale and grow. And so you being able to set the pace as one of not only like the founders of the company, but having that background is something that I'd love to kind of get into more details in this episode. So why don't you give us a little bit of um, background in terms of like what that skill set like what that skill set you brought to the table is with Array and how you think about and how you guys split responsibilities for for running the company. Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the main things that you learn, especially when you're doing PM stuff and on a consumer side, and, and my my job in the PM role was very um, zero to one projects. So you would take uh, consumer apps from zero and then we try to grow them as quickly as possible. And so for some context like we would work on kind of these projects in India, in Canada, Japan. So we were working on like really large scale products, but from zero to one. And so what's really exciting about that is that you figure out, okay, uh, different kind of acquisition channels, different marketing strategies. Um, but you're really thinking about this from like a viral loop perspective, which is that, uh, okay, what is step one to bring in your first customer? Um, you analyzing them really, really intensely to see what they're liking about the product. And then you're kind of iterating on that. And so that mindset of very quick iteration and analyzing customers with deep detail and actually having the tools to be able to analyze them properly. So for example, in tech, you know, when you build out an app, one of the first things you do is you make sure that all of your data that you're collecting to be able to look at the different um, entry points, exit points, how they're spending time on your app, what buttons you're clicking, that's a non-negotiable. And that's actually non-negotiable before even you're building out some features, just so you know how people are kind of doing certain things. And so the same thing goes even in our case in the e-commerce world, for, for example, your website. So right now, you know, a big portion of what you do, especially the moment you have some level of product market fit in e-commerce, it actually matters a lot, the experience of the customer through the journey, especially on the different funnels of your journey, right? So whether you're bringing them through ads, whether you're bringing into influencers, whether whatever kind of channel they're coming in, you want to look at that overall experience um, all the way through the checkout process, all the way to the post-purchase journey, all the way to the repurchase journey. And so all of those things are things you are that are no brainer in the tech industry. So I think that was really important. So it's okay, how do we make sure that we have the tools to be able to analyze the way people are thinking about this? And then second of all, how do you make sure that we iter on this very, very quickly? And so I think those tool sets are extremely important. I think in the early days, you know, if you don't have many customers, it's not that important, but it becomes important very, very quickly. But that's like a very important thing that was just super key. 
And then, so how'd you guys set everything up? Um, I know that you mentioned like having all these different sort of touch points and all these different systems and being able to track not only um, attribution from an acquisition perspective, but as well as like what's going on in the back end in terms of like repeat purchases and other things like that. So um, just like, how is your, I guess the simple way of asking it, it's like, how is your tech stack call it set up? How, and, and how'd you guys run it that way? Yeah, so I think that some things we use very, I mean, there's a certain program that we use for as a no brainer, right? So for example, we use um, Clavy for all of email stuff. And then we use, um, we actually use Peel Insights It's a new um, uh, data platform I've been switching to over from Lifetimely. I used to use Lifetime, I use Peel now. And Peel is really amazing. They just uh, give me a lot of information on uh, the actual like number metrics side of things. And so they it's super helpful when it comes to your cohort analysis, your subscription cohort analysis, um, all of all of that stuff. Um, on top of that, I actually also, we also do a lot of kind of manual work just to be able to take a look at the data that we have and calculate them. Because I find there's a lot of discrepancies between a lot of these apps and what they use versus what your real data is. And I really actually find that apps, a lot of times are over-reporting on what uh, you might think is right. But just looking at your very, very key metrics, so your um, lifetime values, your kind of subscription, your customer cohort subscription rates, you're looking at your revenue, obviously. And then on the website of things, we use a lot of just uh, being able to use GA really, really well and looking at the different funnels on GA to look at the customer drop-off rates, bounce rates, things like that. And also uh, just to look at the user behavior on a page itself, uh, I really like using Hotjar. So that does is a really good way. So like customer behavior, Hotjar, um, and also just like Google Analytics. And then from like a numbers perspective, um, Peel Insights, and then a little bit of dabbling in just uh, raw data um, from Excel is really helpful. Got it. And then um, what else do you, what are what else do you guys use within that tech stack? Are you built on? on like a Shopify, for instance, or, and then what are maybe some of the other systems? Um, I know you guys are using, doing subscriptions. Do you use anything for that or anything on the support end of things? Yeah, for sure. So actually on the support end of things, we just switched to um, Gorgeous, uh, which my team has really good things to say, uh, talk about. On top of that, we obviously were built on Shopify. I think it works really well for us. Uh, we also just build uh, on Shopify 2.0. Our apps that we were building on that, um, it just makes things a little bit faster. Um, for our subscriptions, we use R Rodeo. Uh, it's brand new, but it's been working super well. Switched over from, uh, oh my God, what's the what's the really big subscription? Recharge. Yeah. Recharge, recharge, yeah. Switched over and Recharge and is significantly better. And uh, Ben, the guy who runs it, is actually a great guy. So I just really like working with him as well. Um, and then also on the attribution side of things, we use Triple Whale. So Triple Whale is like super helpful for us just to look at the attribution on the ad side of things. But I think that that's the overall tech side. Those are like the most important. And then Clavio for email. And uh, we also use Clavio for SMS as well. So both of those. Got it. Oh, so you guys are using Clavio for SMS. I, I know um, there's a bunch of different like specific SMS providers, but that's really interesting to hear. Do you... Um, is there, have you used any of the like specific SMS platforms or did you just kick off using SMS through Klaviyo? No, I actually used Attentive to start off and I think it was a really great platform. The problem is that integrating that with email was quite difficult. 
And that native integration that, that Clayview has is just super, super important. And so just being able to like dissect the journey again with the customer of like, oh, hey, are they getting an email first? Are they getting an SMS next? And, you know, you can just get so granular with your abandoned carts and your kind of sales or whatever you want to do. So I think that entire journey is really helpful. And also even it's like from a acquisition of email and SMS, I think when it's all in one platform, it moves a little bit easier. That was actually the only reason why we moved over from Tendev to Clavio and has been serving us really well. I, I know there's a lot of other SMS platforms that are really great on their own, and they probably have maybe even more feature rich than Clavio is, but uh, I have a lot of emphasis on just the integration of email and SMS being in the same in the same place. So we we love that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really um really interesting take because when you're thinking about like building customer journeys, you want them to make sense. And the, and the less, I guess, the less damage you have from like running different platforms and not having everything talk together, the, be the better you're going to be. So maybe even if you're sacrificing a little bit in terms of like pure horsepower, maybe just the, the peace of mind you get in being able to build a holistic journey from one place is probably um, going to be really uh, a lot more value valuable. Um, my next question that I had, um, just because I'm genuinely curious about this in terms of like, and you're, um, you know, you come from the technical side and obviously, and you, you guys are a subscription business as well. So obviously when you're thinking in terms of like cohorts and user segments and all this, how do you guys think about building these personalized segments? Are you guys using Clavio? Are you guys um, doing other things in the back end to build these like you know, customized user segments that you want to hit with, um, you know, personalized SMS and email? Yeah. So actually the way we think about it is that I, when we started the company, we had not really thought that subscription is going to be the main portion of the business. We were of the mind that let's allow people to buy the product. They want to buy it and let's see how that goes. Now, obviously we knew we were solving a really high frequency problem. And so because of that, we knew that subscription should be an option, but it was never the um, primary way that we were acquiring customers. And the second thing is that I actually still think that subscription, as, as great of a business model it is, it's really annoying from a customer perspective if it's not a good experience. And so what we try to do is like we first try to find, okay, natively, how are people using the product? How are they like consuming, what's the frequency at which they're consuming it? Um, what kind of person is that that requires this, this uh, product on subscription? And then we very specifically cater our subscription offers to those kind of customers. And so there's actually a lot more um, off the like off the website, off the using the apps kind of um, research we're doing here. So I'll give you an example. I think that some of the things that I did a lot early on, and even today actually, is just meeting with customers in person. And so even today, like we have a lot of customers, but every month we'll actually throw a customer dinner um, with some of our most loyal customers in different cities. So we'll do it like we had one in Toronto, we did one in LA, we, we're going to do one in New York next week. And so we'll do this like literally every single month just to, first of all, hang out with these people because I just want to hang out with them. And second of all, um, they just tell you their problems. They tell you how they're using their product. They tell you, you know, all these different things about them. And it's the best way to learn about exactly who these kind of people are. And so then from there, it's like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Like we have customers who have IBS for using their product. We have customers who have acid reflux that are using their products. You have people who, you know, just have been suffering from some sort of a um, issue or just been eating too much pizza who have been using the product as an example, right? And so all these different things that, okay, I now know exactly what kind of customer it is that would like to be on subscription. 
Um, and those are the kind of people that I want to target. And those are the kind of people that we would like to offer something on subscription. Now, there's no point in uh, offering our product on subscription or forcing someone to be on subscription if they're only using it once every now and then. So I think that's the way we've been thinking about it. So we, we take a look at that and that's kind of how we create that avatar around who it is that we're targeting. And then we go and look at our existing data and then we said, okay, I think we can you know, make the offer really sweet for them. So maybe give them a discount, give them free shipping or give them expedited shipping. Because for example, one of the insights is that some of the people who are on subscription, they want this stuff tomorrow because it's like so need, like they really need it when they need it. So offering, you know, um, free expedited shipping for your super, um, super loyal customers or super kind of hyper engaged customers. So those are the things, it's really hard to do that when you're looking at like a data data sheet or whatever. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot more effective to know how people use it. So I think that in-person kind of research has been the target driver of those types of decisions. And then now obviously you can do things on the front end where like, okay, make subscription your offer, give it a heavier discount, make the spread between one time and subscription higher so that people are more inclined to subscribe. And all of those things work, absolutely. But uh, first and foremost, it's just like really understanding what type of consumer is actually wanting to be on your uh, product on a subscription basis and then going after those people because that is as authentic as it gets and that actually really grows the business. There's no need to, you know, do all the tricks and stuff on the website before you do that. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously I think the most important thing is understanding your customer. So like in a very like anecdotal, literal sense, being able to meet with your customers, hear what they have to say and let that inform like the avatars and how you go about creating these different segments. Because if there's one person like that, there's probably more that have similar experiences and purchase behaviors like that. Um, but, and then the next question is once you've identified those people, right? When it, you, you named a couple different actions that you take. So for example, you're like, oh, this segment of customers, I wanna be able to provide a different type of shipping option, or this one, I wanna be able to provide, um, you know, subscription and shipping in this time frame. How are you guys on the execution side of it? How do you guys actually set it up so um, different customers can have these personalized experiences? For sure. So I think this is where it's really important to have a subscription partner who's good at this kind of stuff and then leverage email and SMS or like basically different communication channels to be able to do this and also integrate those data sets into your um, platforms like Facebook and Google as well. And so I know that Klaviyo now is opening up a um, for beta users uh, to actually have audiences directly automatically imported into Google. And I know that Klaviyo already has that for Facebook as well. And so what we're doing here is that once you do that, you basically figure out the avatar and you can really pinpoint from an avatar perspective, the data sets that would make them that type of avatar. Once you've specified that, you can kind of put tags to certain types of customers based on their behavior. So for example, how many times have they bought? Um, are they paying for expedited shipping? Um, are they switching from one-time purchase to subscription purchase? Um, things like that. You can also do surveys via your email to get like non-numerical data. So for example, so for us, we will maybe figure out, okay, what kind of customer has this very specific type of issue that we know our product works really, really well for. So you collect the data, you kind of tag your customers in a very specific way. And then what you do is, let's say on a subscription level, what you can say is that, okay, every third order, I know that this person might need um, these other products that could help them. So for example, we have, you know, we have uh, different product offerings. And so we know that uh, one product they use 
very, very frequently and the other product they don't use very frequently. So having the ability to um, automatically ship the second SKU every third order or second or fourth order. So that's something that you need the ability to do with your subscription partner. Um, another one could be like, oh, okay, we're, we're shipping you different, different things. However, let's say that a super loyal customer, we give them free expedited shipping. And so we say that if you stay on subscription and you order every 30 days or 60 days, we will make sure that you always get free shipping. But if you skip more than two months, you'll lose that kind of subscription, like free expedited shipping. And that means a lot to that type of customer. So I think that that kind of help on the subscription partner side is really important. And then the second thing what you can do is once those flows are activated, you can now um, also optimize your emails and SMSs where let's say that you have a customer who's bought something and they they love that kind of stuff. You can hit them with a um, you know free fourth product if they order two or more on the next one. So that's where your email execution comes into play. The SMS execution comes into play. It's just uh, analyzing your flows. That's really basically what we're doing here. But I think on the email side, you just need to be kind of data driven to be able to do those flows. And on the uh, subscription side, you just need to have a partner who's working with you. So that's why I like the Rodeo guys because. When we think of stuff like that, they're pretty good at executing and coming up with those features to allow us to do that. So I really like that. Yeah, and I think in, in subscription too, it's such an interesting space because like you were saying, there's so many different variables and consumer behaviors. And when you're looking at something so binary as a subscription, like am I subscribed or am I not? You really need to be able to solve for all those corner cases in between being subscribed and not. Like you said, there might be some people who if they're not getting that alternate product every three three um, cycles instead of every cycle, they're just gonna cancel the subscription because they're like, I I know I need this, but I don't need this other thing every single time. So being able to really s provide them the, a subscription for the things that they actually need in that time frame, that's gonna be highly valuable. Otherwise, the customer is gonna feel that there's stuff being wasted or money left on the table and they're, they're not gonna wanna subscribe. So thinking about a, the customer journey holistically, um, I think you, know, you guys are, are really approaching that the right way. Yeah, for sure. And, and also just making make, like understanding that subscription is not a business model. Subscription is actually you serving your customers in a way that they want to be served. Like it is not something that we are doing so we can collect recurring revenue. It's so that the experience of your customer who need your products is as seamless as possible. I think that's the way that you think about it first. And that way, like canceling a subscription, changing it, making it as easy as possible for them is probably first and foremost. Because if you do that, you could actually have a low value customer order from you twice a year instead of ordering once and canceling, just because your experience of them being on subscription is so amazing and so upfront and like non-selfish, that really, really helps. So I think that's the way you, if you think about it that way, like that's the way to succeed on subscription. That is, uh, I think that's a gem that you just dropped because I think most brands and even people that we've talked to, they're, th they're thinking about subscription and then working backwards and like, oh, everything can be subscribed to. Whereas you're thinking about subscription as part of the actual customer experience and saying, no, 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 subscription actually enhances the customer experience because they're not going to have to worry. It's something that they already wanted. It, it actually removes friction from them having to remember to order and come back and order. And that's how you're approaching subscription as opposed to forcing something on them that they don't actually want because that's just going to yield churn and um, less purchases. So I think that if, if you had to take away a gem from um, you know the episode in terms of how brands can think about their subscription offerings, it's, it's that. 
Absolutely, hundred um, percent. Okay, so moving. Let's. Um, I just want to move backwards a little bit because I know you talked about um, PMing and how a lot of the work that you've done is going to zero to one. But I wanted to talk a little bit with you about how you took Array from zero to one. So now you guys have all the flows set up, these complex customer experiences. But once upon a time, a couple of years ago, um, you guys were starting out. You were trying to launch the business, um, and you were trying to launch it with your wife. So how did how did how did everything go then? What was zero to one like for Array? Oh man, it was so different because I was nowhere near as literate about the stuff that I am today in the e-commerce world. But like in zero to one days, honestly, I think the one thing that we knew really well is that we just wanted to provide the best customer experience ever um, in, in every possible way. So um, literally what we would do is even when it came, like first thing is the packaging. When we packaged thing up, we wanted people to know that they were buying the product from us. And so everything was hand packaged like it was we never used a fulfillment center in the early days and every single thing like we would buy custom tissue wrapping paper you wrap up the products we would write a handwritten note and then me and my wife used to take a a polaroid selfie like we would every every polaroid would be an authentic one because we would be taking it ourselves with a polaroid camera and so it would it would take about i don't know 10 15 seconds per photo and so we would do that for like thousands of orders um, I, I, we didn't get a fulfillment center until after our first million dollars in sales. And so that all, all of that was just pure, um, kind of, you know, like, I guess, sweat, sweat equity, um, that we put into the thing. And that, and that really, really helped because people used to post with it all the time. They're like, wait, who are these people? And why is there a photo of them in my package? And it was actually like kind of cute. Like people really, really liked it. So that was really important. And then from a channel perspective honestly we we were just really good at influencer marketing like we knew um the types of influence we want to work with and more importantly we knew the types of problems we're solving and the types of influence that would resonate with them so we just went very specifically to that type of market from an influencer uh, perspective and we just said hey please try our product if you like it then you know would love if you posted about it and if you don't then no worries at all and again this is because we know how these people work and most brands are like, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And I want you to say X, Y, and Z words. And I want you to do this, this, and this, and here's $30,000 for it. And then our approach is just like, we actually have no budget. Um, I just want, I, I, we've been following you for a long time and I think I can help you with your problem and try this product. It's probably the best product that you're ever going to have to help you with your problem. And if you actually like it, then we would love some support. If not, no worries at all. And we did this again and again and again. And by the way, Blaine, I don't even know. I think we gifted like three, 400 people. Uh, and it only took two people to like, just like to give like make us go kind of parabolical um, in terms of the, the growth. Um, and so it was a, it was completely a numbers game and it was also a numbers game with a lot of authenticity. So when we say like, when we said that you don't have to talk about us if you don't want to, most people didn't, it was like very, very people who did, but that's what got us started. And then after that, it was just, it works so well that it just, it's becoming a snowballing effect, but that's how we got from our, our zero to one. I don't even think we started Facebook ads until close to our first million dollars in sales, which we did in our first year of business. Um, and so it was a lot of that. And, and even then, like from a fulfillment perspective, I remember like literally me and Sif would be on my motorcycle and we'd go and drive to people's places and go deliver things if things were off or whatnot. But Everybody who first experienced our, uh, our our products or our company in that first year, like I made sure they had nothing bad to say. Like the only, like, unless it didn't work for them, which is 
obviously you're gonna have people who it doesn't work for that's just the human body but everybody else they were just like this was amazing and even for people who didn't who didn't work they're like the, the, the way that it received this product was so amazing that i can't even say much bad many bad things about you so yeah no i love that in terms of um what you said about a being authentic when it came to like the seating and then b about actually how effective it was for you guys and in, in giving you like you said being able to go parabolic just from hit getting a couple of those to hit and i think that just goes to show like the perseverance and hard work and um you know the grind component in the early days how that stuff can pay off so, yeah. so who were um who were some of the um you know bigger influencers or personalities that actually gave you guys a shot and said hey yeah you guys will, would love to try it out who 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 took that bet on you guys so dude like it's crazy so um Haley Bieber is actually one of those people and what's really crazy is like I was uh, looking at my phone and at uh, two in the morning I was uh, I was just, like watching Netflix on my phone and um, I saw the PayPal notification pop up and then I was like oh wow like is this really her and so I, I, I looked it up and I was like oh wow that's really her so we sent her some product and you know we wrote a handwritten note or whatever and then uh five days later she orders like five more and so I was like oh wow she really likes the product and then basically we shipped it out to her and then her assistant at the very end of it sent me a message being like hey I know you shipped the product but it's not getting here fast enough because Haley's gone tomorrow and she needs the product today and so I was in LA at the time. So I was like, you know what? Can I come and drop it off? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you can come drop it off. Just come to Justin Bieber's house. I was like, yep, I am on my way there. So me and Sif and like literally like Sif's brother and one of her team members, we all loaded up in my car and we just drove over to Justin Bieber's house to go and hand deliver this product. And then, yeah, I mean, we, we literally just hand delivered the product. We're like, hey, like, I hope you like this. And then, like, you know, here's the extra couple of things. And we brought her some things. And, like, and it's just funny because we, we brought it up to her. It was not packaged well because it was in this came this really ghetto package because we had to do this so quickly. Like, we had to, like, literally get this in the car and going in, like, 15, 20 minutes. But we did that. And, yeah, she shouted us out. And it was, like, it was absolutely insane. Um, You know, and that was completely organic. Like, that was just because I saw this notification. Then we kind of just pursued that, right? So, that's like that's kind of the stories of how this thing stuff works. I guess, I guess it yeah it really paid off. Wait, and and was that you guys? Um, did she just hear about your product and then make an order and then you guys happened to like notice the name or was it you guys actually reached yeah. out to her? Yeah, oh, it was yeah. like that. So she she had ordered it. It was that we did not. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. I mean, um, yeah. Even like the first company I started, I remember like I was super I'd love being super close to the ground and seeing like the customers that would book with us and do all this sort of stuff. And and it just goes to show like um, how how when you are like in tune with like what's happening, even on the ground floor of your business, like how massively like how exponential the return can be if you're like actually plugged into what's going on. For sure, for sure. I just think that this is. And this is the phenomenal of just like creating luck for yourself. Like that's, I think that's really what it is. And I think that, you know, we like even before Haley, there's other people, there's other um, kind of like uh, larger influencers who uh, who just bought from us. And because we would look at every single person involved because we were just obsessed and you weren't, we weren't even looking to look for people. We were just looking because we were like, who is this person? Who is this person? Like, you know, where, where are they buying from? And in the early days, like, it'll be, oh my God, our first order from Azerbaijan. And I'm like, what the hell is someone Azerbaijan ordering our products for? Stuff like that. Like, that was the that was the curiosity for looking at every single order. And I think that that led to, oh, oh shit, like, there's really crazy famous people that are ordering the products. And then it's like, okay, now I'm going to keep, keep an eye out because I want to be able to provide experiences. But 
it's just I think that if you do that, then all of a sudden this is bound to happen, and you're bound to catch it. And yeah, it's just yeah, I, it's just like creating luck for yourself. I think that's by the what same token. I'm sure there's so many other companies that like just let that go under the radar and they totally miss it, right? Because like you could very easily be at scale and be like, oh, we're doing a hundred, a thousand orders a day. Like it doesn't For matter sure. at this point and like we don't care. And as soon as you tune out, um, you miss those opportunities that could return you, you know, totally exponentially. So the, anyway, loved, loved, hear, lo- loved hearing that story. That's, um, that's amazing. Absolutely. And then in terms of like when it actually came to, so why don't you take me back to this place with the, you know, right around the time you're doing the, the Haley Bieber stuff, where what scale are you guys at when this is happening and what happens um what happens next as demand starts to increase yeah so at this point like we are uh let's see here i i i think we're doing anywhere between like we have a fulfillment center um you know we have sold probably hun- hundreds of thousands of, of products at this point right so we are we're definitely at scale here like we, we're able to keep up and at, at this point We've already been sold out a few times, and this is in the this is in the in the heart of not in the heart of COVID, but like COVID is still a a, a deal. It, it's not exactly gone yet, um, and so this is a point in time where like we have run out of inventory a few times, and so we're 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 barely being able to keep up with the with the demand of just like the demand, but more so just like the delays. The delays are killing us more than anything, and so. What we're doing here, it was like more of an operational challenge than a front end marketing challenge like that. This is where it was just so important to make sure that we had reliable fulfillment partners. We had reliable uh, manufacturers. We had a reliable person on the team to really put put their attention on this kind of stuff. So I think that the, the one, one of the things here is that one of the reasons why your company can fail is actually that you're, you're not able to keep up with your growth. And so when, when people say that, oh, like, that's a good problem to have, it's really important to realize that that's actually is still a problem. And it's a problem that can truly kill you. Because if a competitor is not have that problem, then people will go to the competitor. So it was a it was a big, big problem for us. And so we had to quickly up our hiring, we had to quickly up everything on customer support on operations, uh, we hired a head of operations to be able to kind of take over that kind of stuff. We literally, I think, fired two or three manufacturers, got some bigger people that we could trust who had a lot more experience, you know, with manufacturing products, et cetera, et cetera. And also just from a fulfillment perspective, also we, we up, we up the, um, kind of baseline for what we thought was, was okay. So basically we have like fulfillment centers across um, North America. Now we have people just to make sure that you'll get your product between, you know, two at the very most five days, if you're in a remote part of uh, the country somewhere, but that was just had to become the standard and when you're really young, you don't even think of that kind of stuff. And when things are growing, that grows so fast that the point between not thinking about it, but like becoming a problem is like a couple of months. So you got to be ready for that stuff before it happens. But I think hiring was probably the most crucial thing at that point in time. So when you guys were moving from, like you said, at, at a certain point, they're like, you guys are packing things from your house, you're taking photos, you're putting them in the box. And then all of a sudden, like you're saying, it comes up on you fast, but then you need to scale, right? So what, and, and with your background, right? Like you've done the whole technical PM stuff, you know how to do things that, and software scales really well, but the difference with the consumer business is obviously there's a massively physical component in this. So wh- why don't you tell us a little bit about how you quickly learned, um, all you needed to know about like setting up the infrastructure, the proper infrastructure to scale. So from the moment that you weren't working in a scalable way to the first moment you're laying scalable infrastructure, what was that like and how did you learn and what did you put into place? 
Yeah, I think that in that environment, one thing that you use in tech a lot is just, especially when you're like hyperscaling, the mindset is that you're picking speed over efficiency in an environment of uncertainty. And so that is kind of just the mindset that you have in, in technology. And I think that that was where it was really easy to think like that in this place. It's like, oh shit, okay, we are in you know fast scale mode. So what, what all things do we need to do? And I'm not even gonna think of whether it makes sense or not right now. So um, hiring someone with a really high salary from somewhere where it's really reputable that I know can solve these problems, do it. Like I'm not even looking at the um, PL or not even looking at my finances. I'm just like, I'm gonna do this because I know it's super necessary. And so my job is just like find the right person and not caring about salary, not caring about um, what their what that really looks like for us. Like really, really um, easy interview questions. Is there a culture fit? Are they coming from the right place? Let's make a very high level decision here and kind of do it. And then this is where also obviously tapping into your own network was really helpful. So like, who do I know that I trust? Let me just quickly bring this kind of person on. So that was number one. Number two is just, I think your kind of baseline for what is okay has to change super quickly. So when you're really young, oh, it's, it's okay if, you know, the app glitches. It's okay if a customer has a 404 error and whatnot. But it's quickly, as you scale, those things are actually not okay. And so, you know, I remember where I had a boss who'd be totally uncool with like a pixel being off or like a user journey just being um, bad because of a technical error because you could have solved that with better user testing as an example. And so your threshold for what is good actually very quickly has to become better, especially, and that, that happens in tech industry really quickly, especially as your user numbers grow. And that's what a good PM should usually do. So a customer never notices. And so that's same thing over here. So, you know, back in the day, if your shipping criteria was five, seven, 10 days, that's no longer okay. Up your shipping criteria, um, like um, up your um, shipping speeds and negotiate with your um, company to give you better pricing because your, your volumes are going up. So all those things are like, go do those as quickly as possible. Next thing is like, okay, go and take a look at where you're shipping. Where are the major delays happening? If you need to go and you know, have multiple fulfillment facilities, go and do that. And I think this is also where it's super helpful to know people who are ahead of you because I, I paid for like mentorship from people who own larger brands. And so I was just quickly able to gather their contacts and be like, okay, who are you using for fulfillment? If I just go and use them, I'll probably be in a good place. So that's kind of what I did, right? So it, it wasn't a lot of like digging. It was more so just like using my network, that kind of mindset and just fixing the problem as quickly as possible. Yeah, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. And especially when you're in that when you're in that timing where things are happening so, so fast and you need to like make the right decisions, because if you make the wrong decisions, like, like you were saying, it's, it's all, it's really about speed. And the crazy thing about working in this space is that there's uh, a massively physical component as well. So as you guys, um, as you guys have continued to scale up, what have the, what have the challenges been, um, as you've continued to grow throughout bringing in all these partners? So now you've done all the things that you kind of mentioned, you know, best practices, you get great operators, you're building a great team, their culture fits. Um, now, what have the challenges been as you continue to scale things up? Yeah, so I think that there's so many different aspects to your business. You have the product development aspect, you have the operations aspect, you have your finances and growth, then you have like your advertising and marketing. And so these are all different pieces that actually change at different points. So every single time you have an inflection point where like, 
you go from zero to one, then you go maybe from one to five, then you go from five to 15, whatever that might be. Like what you're doing from that, that kind of previous uh, bucket just no longer works across the board. So for example, your advertising strategies on different marketing channels like Facebook, TikTok, Google, that doesn't work anymore. That, that completely changes when you get to a, a certain number. And then your marketing strategies, apart from your direct marketing, that changes entirely. And then also your operations change entirely, your product development, and you gotta now really think of, okay, what type of products are you gonna create? And so all of those things change. So one of the most important things is just making sure you have people who can scale with that or have had previous experience doing that. I think one really easy thing you do is you can, it's easy to hire people when things are small and doing one type of thing and certain people can be really good at one type of thing, but having like seasoned leaders or experienced people um, on different parts of the team who have experienced this type of thing before, it's a super important because when that happens, there's no time to go and now hire someone else who's done it before. So I think that's one, one thing where we had those kind of people in certain parts of the team, but we did it in other parts. So like, we're like, oh shit, like you gotta go and quickly hire someone in this place. And so all those things kind of happen. So hiring ahead of the game is just super important. I think you always have to do that no matter what. The second thing is when also, when it comes to scale, there becomes a point where you're scaling and you're growing and stuff. We're like, oh man, I wanna grow faster. I wanna grow even faster. And so just having really good, mathematical understanding of what that looks like in your company is super important. So actually understanding the data, actually understanding your customer acquisition costs, actually understanding your churn retention um, and what scale could look like for you is just super important because then you can actually just move levers around and it just happens. You like, it's not, a, it's not, there's no guesswork. There was a point where like, I would look at my Shopify sales data and I'd be like, oh, today was a good day, and then tomorrow was suddenly a bad day. And I wouldn't actually know exactly why that was the case, but now if I look at it, I know exactly what is happening. And today we're at a point where I'm not even looking at the sales, I'm actually looking at the inputs to the sales, and the input will automatically tell me exactly what that number is gonna be um, at the end of the day. And so, is but it took me so long to get to this place. It took so much like understanding of the different data points, the different levers, and like having that crisp, data dashboards there all the time for you so you can just pull those different levers. So getting to that point, I think is super important. Just that way you're like, you understand what you're managing and what you're doing. And then you, you, you decide to grow the company the way you wanna grow it. You can grow it super profitably. You can grow it unprofitably, maybe with VC funding. You can grow it um, at break even. But all those things just become numerical decisions as opposed to guesswork. So those two things are just, I think just so important, man. So what, what are those levers for you guys? What are the inputs? Yeah, so I think that one of the main inputs like direct advertising. So how are you doing your Facebook, Google, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever those kind of direct advertising is? Like, how are you doing that? And how are you keeping track of that? So for example, there's so many different ways that you do it. And especially with attribution these days, it's super difficult. But like just certain things, I'm keeping track on new customer acquisition. I'm keeping track of my return rate, and then I'm looking at my blended, my blended um, cost per acquisition. All those three things, when you compare that to your uh, gross profit, it's so easy to be like, okay, with that and my gross profit, am I gonna decide to break even on first purchase? Am I gonna break even on second month, third month, four month, six month? Like, what is my tolerance there? And so just those three things as opposed to that is amazing. Second thing I really look at is my um, 
advertising spend as a percentage of my total revenue and where am I comfortable with doing that? So like, you know, this is kind of nice benchmarks. 30% is really good, easy. Like you're, you can actually be really profitable at that kind of point. But if you're looking at hyper growth, maybe 50, 60% is where you want to be for hyper growth. And then just pulling that lever and allowing your team to like go up and down in, in that range is super easy. Cause then you're like, okay, I can go with a ASUS of 60% and I'm going to go and break even on my customer acquisition costs on month number three and it's going to like hyper growth mode, okay? And if I do that, then I'm going to burn X amount of money and that's what it can look like. So that's a lever, for example, on your digital advertising um, side of things. Another one, you can, you can copy exactly that as well on your affiliate marketing, influencer marketing, um, all, like, all of that kind of stuff. And then you can also take a look at, obviously, your return customer ways. So like email, SMS, how that's working in. So all those things I keep really, really um, strong uh, track of. And then on top of that, obviously, this is different ways. Like I'm, I'm looking at my, I'm just always trying to experiment with like, okay, conversion rates, landing pages, things like that. But I think that will give you a really good idea of like what I mean by training the levers on and off. Yeah, no, and I think just for any business owner or operator, knowing what your levers are is a really important thing um, because otherwise you're, you know, flying blind. Um, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, Nish, that was, that was really helpful in terms of like how you guys really thought about building the product, launching the brand zero to one, scaling things up, um, you know, and how you guys think about continuous growth. I know one thing we were also chatting about is how you guys are making some initial forays into retail. So why don't you tell me a little bit um, about that now that you've, you know, really ironed out your D2C strategy, what's going on in retail and what's up next for you guys in Array? Yeah, so I think that retail is super effective if you've built out a little bit of a brand presence. Um, I, and you know what, I'm, I'm not a retail expert, so maybe um, take the words I say a little bit lightly here, but for us, where I've seen a lot of success is when we're in a city and people already know about us in that city, and we're just like allowing people to get our product because they need a different way to get our product, okay? Maybe the shipping isn't fast enough or maybe, you know, they live in a certain area and they prefer shopping that way. I think that's the way I've been thinking about retail. So for me, I'm like, I would actually rather have a billboard and a lot of ads in a very specific area and have a lot of people know about us because people are talking about us, we have a customer base there, and then go into a retail uh, a retail store there, then go into retail store first and just see how it kind of goes. Because I've heard a lot of stories of people going into um, Target and you know a, a lot of these other kind of big retailers and they are just not taken care of because they're really nobodies in that, in that space. And so, I, I would prefer to be a big retailer darling as opposed to just go in there for the sake of a first PO because it's just the same thing as it's the same thing as you know selling to one person. It's like it's not about the first sale, it's about the repeat sale. So it's not about the first PO, it's about the continuous orders coming from retail. That's only gonna happen if there's that kind of continuous relationship there of people knowing the brand and the retailer helping you, et cetera, et cetera. So what we've done is like, so for example, Toronto, we're really big in Toronto. Like people really know us in, in Canada, people know us in Toronto. So we've experimented with some boutique retailers here and it's worked super well. Um, and we've only experimented with people who talk about the product like we do. Like, I don't think we would do very well at a Whole Foods today just because nobody's going to go into Whole Foods and be explained to you how the product helps you. And but in a, in a kind of boutique store, the person really tells you, okay, like, here's how the product works. Here's how you use it. Here's, 
how other people who come to the store use it. And so that type of kind of storytelling is super effective. And so we've tried to be in places like that. I and mean, we're only in places like that where we know we have a presence in the city. So we have that in LA, we have that in, in Toronto, and we just got into um, all the Erewhon's across LA. So we are currently doing like an end cap. It's a big uh, splashy thing. Like we have a really, really pretty end cap array written all over there. We're in all, all seven stores and it makes an impact. So many people messaged me when they saw it, like, oh my God, this looks so cool, man. Like, this is so amazing. And so we did that and it's been really effective. And uh, I'm not looking at retail right now from a um, heavy lift in revenue strategy. I'm really looking at it from, let's go build more brand. Let's go try to build um, more kind of, an ability for people to um, reach us where they already know us. Um, but I think that we have a lot more work to do on a D2C and kind of brand awareness level. And then when you go into retail, that's when we'll like go heavy into, let's say, I don't know, I'm just giving using, using Target and Walmart as an example. I'm not saying they're the right things, but I'm just saying that that's when it'll be super, super effective. I think what you kind of mentioned in terms of like really understanding what who you guys are as a brand, what your product is, that people who can sell your product the best and where where you need to be at what stage is is really important and you know maybe a lot of brands who are sitting where you are like oh i need to be in target right now i need to be in walmart right now but you're like no in boutique they're able to like you know do some of the education that's like really important with our product and we're able to like you know bring in like you had mentioned not only are we going to be able to introduce our our product to new people, but the people that we already know, they're going to be able to see us and we're going to really be able to grow this brand out organically. So when it comes time to super scale, you'll be ready to do that. Um, so I really like the way you guys are thinking about that. And I think it's a really smart from a strategic uh, point of view. And as we kind of wrap up here, Nish, um, you know, just wanted to thank you for coming on and dropping all this knowledge uh, to us in the audience. So um, you know, where can, where can our listeners find you guys array and you personally? Absolutely. You can find Array on Array.com and Array.co on Instagram and TikTok um, and also on Twitter now, I believe. You can find me at Plenty of Niche on Instagram and uh, uh, Twitter. And uh, I think you a lot of people have a lot more fun following my wife because she is the influencer of all influencers. And so you can find her at Sif Hyder and she's kind of like the, the main person you want to follow. She's a lot more fun than me. But uh, yeah, that's where the final office. Thanks so much for coming on with us today. Thank you so much, Blaine. This is amazing, man. I really appreciate it.